You have your Bibles tonight. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, chapter 12. And I, this is called the Great Restoration Part 2. I'm continuing from what I preached this morning. And I preached on restoration and how people don't really understand uh, uh, what God is doing. It's not that God wants to give us a bunch of things we can't do. But what he's trying to do is to restore us. And uh, we just brought out how uh, things need to be restored because damage has happened to them. If you neglect something, it decays. If you use something improperly, uh, you can damage it. Amen. Uh, the example I used this morning was a, a butter knife. Let me know what a butter knife is. A butter knife is not a screwdriver. But we've all used a butter knife as a screwdriver, right? And uh, so you have some butter knives that are kind of twisted there because that's not what it was designed for. And so you can damage things when they're not used in the proper way. And once something is damaged through misuse or neglect, it needs to be restored. And we brought out how sin destroys a man, damages our soul, our spirit, because we begin to live a life uh, uh, opposite of what God had commanded us to live. And so we be honest that you know, we damaged ourselves, amen. We we understand that. And so God doesn't come pointing the finger at us, but he comes and I want to restore you. That's the God that we serve tonight. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. And it's an account where Jesus goes to church. Hallelujah. Thank God he comes to church. Matthew 12 verses 9 through 13. It says, and when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, what man shall there be of you among you that shall have one sheep that it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day? Will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is this man better than a sheep? Wherefore, is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? Then said he to the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched forth his hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like unto the other. Amen. The Great Restoration Part 2. So I want to consider with you first tonight, what is God looking for? Amen. Many people under the false pretense or false understanding that God is looking for perfection. Amen. And I say that because I've often, you know, invite people to church. In fact, even before I begin to go to church, people would invite me to church. I'd be like, hey, man, you don't know. You don't know who you're asking to come to church. Amen. <clears throat> so people will say, well, I would come to the church. But if I walk through the doors, the place will fall down. In other words, they said, I'm so bad, I'm, I'm, I'm so unhelpable that I, God doesn't want to deal with me. We think God's looking for something perfect. But can I tell you something tonight? If God is looking for something perfect, he's not going to look for you and I. Amen. He's not looking for something perfect. He's not looking for perfection. God is looking for people that he can help. Amen. That's what he's looking for. And so we have to understand this tonight that his whole purpose as he's, as he's searching out for humanity is to restore us 
to heal that which was broken, to restore that which was damaged by living outside of his realm. That's why in the parable of the wedding feast in the gospel, he says to the servants, go out to the highways, the byways, and the hedges, and compel them to come in that my table will be full. The highways, the byways, the hedges. Why the hedges? Because how I many know uh, when we get drunk and fall down, we wind up in the hedges sometime, amen? And so God says, look in there for them too. I want you to find everyone that you can. I want to restore their life. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you and I. And not to judge us. Thank God for that. We do a good job of that ourselves. But he's looking to restore us. So it has been said that you cannot help a person until they realize they need help. Very true. You cannot help someone who's addicted until they realize they're addicted. And I can speak from my own uh, experience in life. Um, you know, my philosophy was, listen, I can quit any time I want to. That was, that was my mantra. <clears throat> no, I'm not, I'm not addicted. I can quit whenever I want to. But the reality is, you can't help someone until they acknowledge that they have a problem. It's just like a drowning man. I mean, no, you don't have to, have to convince a drowning man he needs help, right? He knows he's drowning, he wants help. But if you don't know that you're drowning, you don't know that you need help, uh, you're always resisting, pushing it off. Uh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> That's what I said to I was 30 years old. I'm fine, I'm fine. I should have been saying I'm a fine mess, amen. Because I was. So I would, I would always say, you know, I can stop anytime I want to. But when I wanted to, I couldn't. And that's when I realized that I needed help. Amen. One of the things we must be able to do as Christians is to look at our lives and understand God's not looking for perfection. But look at our lives with an honest assessment on what it is we need to happen in our own hearts and in our own lives. If the only way we can do that is if we look at if we look at our lives through the lens of God's word. Because if we look through our own eyes, how many know everything looks good to us? Amen. How you doing? I'm doing fine. While inside we're dying, we're a mess, right? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But see, we won't acknowledge where we need help. We won't acknowledge the issues of our life. Amen. But if we look through the lens of God's word, how many know God is always honest with us? Sometimes he's brutally honest. Amen. But it's not meant to hurt us. It's to simply show us where we need help in our lives. First Samuel 16 verse 7 says these words. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, uh, but the Lord looks upon the heart. See, the world's just the opposite. We judge people on the outward. Man, look what they're driving. Look what they're wearing. Look at the job they have. Oh, man, that they got a perfect life. While inside, uh, it's, it's a total mess. It's destroyed. And so we look at the outward, and we don't really see all the dynamics that were. But here's God. He said, I don't look like, I, I'm not impressed by the labels you wear. I'm not impressed by the material things you have. I'm looking at your heart, and I'm longing to help you because I know that you're drowning. I know that you need a miracle. I know that your life needs to be restored. 
See, it's profitable to view your life through the words of God. Because then you understand and you'll be honest with who you are and where you stand. Amen. So, we have to be begin to come to a place where uh, we say, okay, God, show me who I am. Amen. Stop going. You know, they have the saying, uh, don't believe your own press clippings. Amen. In other words, all the good stuff they write about you as, well, that's who I am. Well, not really. That's not really who, who you are. You know, you can look at uh, uh, famous people and you read all the, uh, the bios about them. Uh, but how I many you know many times uh, there are wounded people and their lives are coming unraveled inside? We can remember the time in the scripture where these people brought a woman to Jesus. And they said, Lord, we've caught her in the very act of adultery. And uh, Moses said we should stone her. What say you? Amen. They got her there and they got her dead to right. She's, she's in trouble. And so they're asking, Jesus, should we stone her? Should we, should we judge her? And the Bible says in John 8, verses 7 through 9, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And they which heard it begin being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the least. And so here, this scenario, they're condemning her. Ah, oh, she did this wrong, she did that, and she's guilty. I put her to death. And they're not looking at their own life through their own eyes. They're just judging someone else. And so Jesus gets up and says, listen, uh, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And then it says something very interesting. He stoops down and begins to write on the ground again. I wonder what he was writing. I wonder what he was writing that convicted them. <clears throat> he was writing things that revealed who they were. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to pick someone else's life apart when we only look at our own life. And so maybe he's writing things in the sand that are convicting them. Uh, this is what you are, and that's what you are. And all of a sudden, as they see their lives with their own eyes, they realize, you know what, I'm no better than this woman. I have no right, to, amen, to exalt. I've got issues too. I've got problems, amen. See, this is what the Word of God does. Not to condemn us, but so that we can deal with reality. How I many know it's good to live in reality? Amen. They saw themselves above this woman. They saw themselves somehow better than she was. But the reality is, none of us is any better than anyone else. Amen. We've all got flaws. We've all got spiritual warts tonight. We all need God's help. So we, what happens is when we don't look through the, through the eyes of God, we look at people and say, well, you know what, at least I'm not as bad as they are. I used to sing this song, Listen, hey, I know I'm bad, but I ain't as bad as them, man. They really need God. Because we don't see with the proper sight unless we look through the word of God. Jesus wrote some things on the ground, and the words he wrote convicted these people because they began to look at their own lives and say, you know what? Who am I? I need help. I need God to help me in my life. In Acts chapter 8 verse 22, 
There's a man named Simon who gets saved. He, he was in, involved in witchcraft. He was a sorcerer before he gets saved. He hears the gospel preach. He gets saved. But can I tell you something tonight? Even though we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we come to church. How I many know we still have issues? Amen. I've been serving God for 30 years. I still, I still have issues. Amen. There's still things that God has to do in my life. So Simon's there, he's going along, and uh, what happens is uh, he begins, to, something's revealed to him about his own character. Acts chapter 8 verse 22. Peter tells him, repent therefore this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me. Then none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. See, before this, he's going along, he's a, he's a disciple, he's in the crowd there. And what happened was, when he saw the power of God happen, he said, he offered them money. Hey, listen, I'll pay you if you give me that power. I want to be able to do what you did with the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to do that. I want to pay you money. And Peter says, hey, listen, there's something not right in your heart. To think that you can bribe God, that you can pay for God, and that's not, that's not the way it works. And so when he hears these words from Peter, the Bible says Simon's response was, Hey, pray for me that I can work these things out in my heart. I don't want to be like, I didn't know I had this issue until God showed me. And that's the way serving God is. Not to condemn us, but so that we can get a handle on our own heart. But the Bible says the heart is deceitful. That your heart will even deceive you. Amen. I can look back, you know, over the years, my heart deceived me many times. I trusted my heart, but it deceived me and led me into some places I should have never been. So Simon looks like the model, the model disciple. Yet inside, there's things that need to be addressed. There's things that need to be taken care of. In our text, Jesus goes into the synagogue. The house of God, the church for all purposes. He goes in there, and in verse 10 it says, There was a man with a withered hand. In other words, he's in there, <clears throat> but there's something not functioning right in his life. There's something that is not made whole. We're not given his name. And so I always tell people, when there's not a name in the scripture, that means we can put our name there. We can come to the house of God. <clears throat> And still there can be things that are not right. Things that God wants to put his finger on it to help us with. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking to restore. So this man coming. And he needs to be restored. Yet he's not restored. He's come again and again and again. Yet this area of his life still is not dealt with. And God wants to help him. He still has an issue hasn't left and that is true as we serve God we can come to church thank God we come to church but listen God wants to do business with us <laughs> hallelujah he wants to do business with us and so Jesus what he does he challenges this man's faith he challenges his faith as he sees him there he sees the problem no God sees us tonight 
He looks beyond the outside, he looks inside, and he sees what is withered, what needs to be restored. And so Jesus spots him. And he begins to approach him. And he challenges him. He says, stretch forth your hand. What do you mean stretch it out, man? Can't you see that? It's, it's, it's immobilized. I've got a problem here. He says, no, I'm challenging you. God challenges your faith. People say all the time, oh, I got faith. I believe God. Well, God's going to challenge your faith. Jesus didn't go up and say, all right, listen, let me heal you without any. No, no, he said, you got to do something. Because faith is an action. Don't look secondly at responding by faith. Faith tonight is our responsibility, not God's. That means we have a part to play in this, amen. Faith is an action, not just a statement. People think they, because we say, well, I have faith in God. That that means you have, no, no, no. Faith is an action. Jesus says, I want you to do something. I want you to step out of, I want you to take some action that's going to prove your faith. In the book of James, it says this about faith. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In other words, if all we're doing is saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, amen, that, that, that's not really faith. You know, remember the movie, The Wizard of Oz, and Dorothy there, she clicks her heels together. There's no place like home. There's no, that, that's not faith. Faith is an action. You've got to respond with action to prove that you actually have faith. It's not enough to say, I have faith in God. There must be an action attached to our statement. And that's what Jesus is telling him. You've got to do something. You've come into the house of God. You know that God, you say you believe that God is real. You want God to help you. Now your faith has to engage. You've got to respond in faith. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus is saying, your faith is not, you know, your faith is not uh, judged by what you speak, but by what you do. He's looking for the actions of our faith. Faith is measured by our actions. Jesus gave this man in our text something to do. The word of God gives us actions to take. Isn't that right? God begins to challenge us in our lives. The word of God begins to reveal to us how God wants us to live. And then we must put that into action. That says we have faith in God. <clears throat> James 4, chapter 7, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He says, submit yourselves, or in other words, your actions have to prove your faith. He says, resist the devil. God has given us a, a command. Resist the devil. So what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Resist the devil and he will flee. If we do our part by faith and resist the enemy, he will flee. Deliverance comes by deliberate action. Amen. 
you know, I can use my life as an example. You've heard me, you know, use the example before. You know, one of the one of the things that hung on to my life after I got saved, you know, I had to, I quit smoking, I quit doping. But man, my Budweiser, oh Lord, my Budweiser, it was it was attached to my hip, hallelujah. And so I'm going to church, but I'm still, I, I'm a sipping saint, man. I got my cold Budweiser. And uh, there came a time where I had to make a decision. I remember clear as day. I mean, it was so powerful that to this day, it's like it just happened yesterday in my mind. And I opened my refrigerator and I reached down to grab that cold Budweiser and the Spirit of God met me there. And at a moment of time, God challenged me, said, we don't do that anymore. Now at this position in life, God is calling me to an action. Resist. Resist. Amen. And I'll never forget, amen, I was able to finally stand up, close the door, and that was the last time I'd ever drank a beer. See, the problem is, sometimes we don't resist. You know, we, back in the day, we used to have, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Deliverance services, we would have people bring all their, uh, their worldly music. <clears throat> Amen. That's back when they had records. How I many know what a record is? Record? So we would bring the records. And they would break them. And, you know, it was all this the demonic music they're listening to. Or uh, we would have people bring their, the packs of cigarettes. Uh, they would throw them down and they would crush them up and uh, pray for deliverance. Uh, and some would get delivered. Uh, but others, uh, right after the service, they would go out and buy the very thing that... They were supposed to be resisting. And it's like, that's not faith. Faith is you resist. You say, I'm not going to, I'm going to resist. And as you do that resistance, that's when God gets involved and brings a deliverance to our lives. See, we want the easy believism. I'm just going to confess like Dorothy, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, and I'll be home. No, the devil doesn't play fair. You've got to resist him. That's our part. That's our role. Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. He didn't go over and lift the hand up for him. He says, you do it. You put some effort into it. I know it's difficult. I know it seems impossible. But you do it. You stretch forth your hand. God's already done this part. He done it on the cross for us. It's like, what more what, what can we ask God? He gave his life for us. And we, we still, no, no, can you do some more? He's done all he can do. Now it's up to you and I to take action. And our faith says, I'm going to resist the temptation of sin. I'm going to resist that. And as you do that, God comes and causes the enemy to flee. The temptation to leave you and you'll have the victory. What actions in our life prove that we have faith in God? Because life is going to challenge you. When I gave my life to Jesus, it was all kind of challenges that started, amen, in my life. In the book of Daniel, we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Hebrew boys who were in captivity in uh, Egypt, Babylon. And so they're there as young men. They are taken captive. They're raised there. And there comes a time... Where they are called on to bow down to the ways of the world. 
And these were young men who had they said, well, we believe God, the God of Israel is our God. Uh, he's the one that we serve. And they made all these statements. But there came a time in life where it was a challenge put to them, and their faith was going to have to have motion to it. And what happened is Nebuchadnezzar had built this huge statue, amen, this golden image. It says, all right, when you hear the music play, I want everyone to bow down and to worship this statue. Everybody in society, yeah, no problem, king, we're into it, man, play the music, we're going to bow down. Uh, but these three young men who said they believed in God are now faced with a challenge. Are we going to bow down and do what the world wants us to do? Or are we going to stand for what God wants us to do? See, faith has action to it. So the word gets out, they're not going to bow down. And they tell the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar begins to have a conversation with them. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that shall deliver you? See, your faith is going to be challenged. Oh, they were confessing God. Oh, we believe in you, God. Now the heat's turned up. King says, listen, if you don't bow down and do what we're telling you to do, worship what we're telling you to worship, we're going to throw you in that fire furnace. What do we do when our faith is challenged like that? See, your faith has action to it. Your faith is on the line now. <clears throat> I would say tonight, everybody here, you've got something you want God to do in you. You've got something, you know, beyond the exterior, there's something inside that you have, that you want God to do. Been asking Him to do it. You, you in the secret place, you talk to God, amen? And you've asked Him to do some things, and can I tell you something tonight? God will do them, but it's going to be according to your faith. So they're standing before the king, on one side is the king Nebuchadnezzar's throne, and the other side is this fiery furnace uh, that can devour them. And they make a decision. <clears throat> Verse 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so now their faith is in action now. We're not going to give in to this pressure. How many of the world's always pressuring us to live the way it wants us to live? Oh, do this, oh, do that. Grab all the gusto you can grab. You only go around once and, and on and on it goes. The pressure to bow down to the world and do what they want you to do. And at that point, your faith has to have some action to it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to stand and believe God. They had to step out in faith. 
And we know the story goes they were thrown into the furnace. But how do you know that's where God meets us? When you step out because you believe God and difficulty happens, don't worry, you're not alone. God meets you there. God meets you in the midst of the trial of your life. So in our text, Jesus is telling this man, stretch your hand out. Anybody's probably looking at him, Jesus crazy? The guy can't move his hand. Why is he doing that? Jesus is doing it because faith is an action. The things you've been asking God for, listen to me, he'll do them. But he's waiting for action on your part. He's waiting for you to show that you really believe him. By taking a stand, by doing what is right, by resisting the world. And the moment you do that, God can get involved in your situation. Amen. So let's look at being restored by faith. You know, doctors don't have all the answers, do they? Thank God for doctors, but they don't have all the answers. Restored by faith. Verse 13. Then said he to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. It was restored whole. In other words, God fixed what was lacking. God took care of what had been damaged. Tonight, maybe your heart's been damaged. I'm talking about your spiritual heart, not your physical, your spiritual heart. Maybe your soul's been damaged. Maybe your spirit's been damaged. And tonight, God is saying, I can fix that, but it's going to take action on your part. This man had to stretch out his hand and that which was withered was made whole again. So two things to take note of here. The man took the action. Amen. Listen, what you want from God is not just going to fall out of the sky on you. Hit you in there. Oh man, I got hit with a blessing. No, no, no. You got to take action. How bad do you want what you've been asking God for? How bad do you want what you've been pleading with God for? How bad do you want that thing that you've been weeping for from God? You're going to have to take action. Think of this man. Maybe he's been going there for years with his hand withered. And everybody just thinking, well, that's, what, that's the way he's going to be all the rest of his life. You're going to have that problem forever. You might as well get used to it. Yet this day comes and somewhere within him... He finds the strength and the courage and the faith to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to believe God to help me. And the second thing is, once he took that step, he was restored. Amen. And that's what happened in salvation. When we finally take the step and believe God. I remember, amen, like, just like it was yesterday, amen, my, the day of my salvation, when I was in that position, ready uh, to give my life to Jesus, and all the opposition that came against me in my mind to stop me. Because we press through, we are made whole. See, it's possible to sit in the house of God and not be restored. 
It's possible to know God and not be restored. You still walk around with a broken heart, a broken spirit, a wounded soul. Because of how we misused our lives and the rebellion that we and all of that damage is there that God wants to restore. And we can know God, but not be restored because we won't stretch forth in faith. This man finally takes the action and the result is restoration. I can tell you tonight, everyone who takes the action to put their faith in Jesus, it's restoration. Hallelujah. Everyone who takes faith steps out and presses through and touches Jesus, it's restored. Matthew 9, 22, we close with this. But Jesus turned him about when he saw her. He said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. That restored. And the woman was made whole from that hour. This is the story of the woman who had the issue of blood. And she said within herself, If I can just touch him. I don't need to get up and, you know, jump on his back. I just need to touch his garment. And she said, If I can just do, if I can just do that... It's going to be all right. And as she presses through and touches him in faith, Jesus turns and says, your faith has restored you. Everyone who will do this will be restored. The fruit of a restored life is very powerful. The psalmist says this in Psalms chapter 51 verses 12 and 13. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And what he's saying is once you've been restored by the Spirit of God, it brings a joy. A joy unspeakable, and it is so powerful, listen, that it causes you to tell other people about Jesus. Another true confession tonight. I'm in church, so I might as well be honest, right? I grew up going to church, but I never once told anybody about Jesus. Amen. I just didn't. I, mean, I went to church, sang the songs, you know, read the Bible a little bit here and there, but I never once told anyone about Jesus. The age of 18. <clears throat> well, actually, at 16, my dad said, you don't have to go to church anymore. So I didn't go to church. At the age of 30, I go and I get saved. And I stretch out my faith. Jesus touches me and delivers me, saves me. And I begin to tell people about Jesus. Because of what had happened inside of me. I said, you know what? People need to know this. And the psalmist says, as God restored our joy. Listen, when Jesus touches your spirit, you can be able to have joy. I mean real joy. I'm talking about the fake joy of the world. You know, when people get drunk, they want to be able to have a good time. It's fake joy. I'm talking about real joy. He says, you restored the joy of my salvation. And because it was so powerful, I'm going to tell other people about you. And they're going to be converted because there's so many lives that are wounded. That are broken. Because of misuse, because of neglect. 
So when Jesus touched me, he gave me a heart to tell people about Jesus. When I was just religious, amen, hey, God is there, God is good, you know, and all this. But when I was touched by the Spirit of God, when I finally found the courage to say, Jesus, I need you, man. I've done this thing for 30 years on my own, and look, I've made a mess. It's, 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 it's validated, it's a mess. And when he touched me, listen, changed me. And the joy that I was able to have, amen, is it's unspeakable. Because God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for you and I. He's looking to restore us. He's not looking for us to judge. How I many you know if God wanted to judge you, he could have found you a long time ago and judged you. He knows right where you live. But he's looking for us to restore us. Tonight, God is saying, stretch out. I have what you need. Stretch out your hand and trust me. Let's bow our heads for just a moment tonight. Heads bow and eyes closed for a moment this evening. You want to pray. Amen. Tonight as we sit here in the house of God and maybe watching online. I want to tell you tonight, God is not looking for perfection. He's looking to restore people. The joy that we had and the peace that we once knew is lost because of misuse or neglect of our lives. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory. That none of us is better than anyone else. We can't cast a stone tonight, but we can be honest and look at our own hearts and say, God, I've got areas of my life that need to be fixed. Things that need to be healed. Wounds that need to be taken care of. Tonight, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight, maybe you're at home watching online. I want to make a statement to you this evening. Jesus cares about you and wants to make you whole. You've tried all the remedies of the world to fix the brokenness of your life, and it hasn't worked. But the good news is tonight, God is here. So tonight, maybe you're a person who would say, you know what, man? I've got wounds on my heart. I've got wounds on my spirit. I've got wounds on my soul. Some of them are my fault. Others say, man, it's the things that people did to me. But nevertheless, they're wounds. Tonight, I want God to heal those wounds. That you tonight lift your hand and put it right back down. Say, That's me. I need, I, I need God to heal me. Tonight, you want to have your sins forgiven. You want to make a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Tonight is the night. Don't leave with a wounded heart, a wounded spirit, a withered hand tonight. God is saying, Stretch out your hand and I'll meet you. If you're not saving your backslid, you've gone back into the world. Jesus wants to help you tonight. Talking to the church tonight, man, it's possible to come to church and sit in the house of God and still not be restored. Because we won't let God deal with what He wants to do. Faith tonight. What is God challenging you with tonight? What areas is putting His finger on saying, you know what, that needs to be fixed. That needs to be taken care of. That needs to be dealt with. 
tonight will you respond and let God help you this evening. All across this place, just acknowledge to God, stretch forth your hands and say, Lord, I've got areas, God, that I need you to help me with tonight. Quickly, lift your hand and put it right back down so that's me. God, I need you to help me in these areas tonight. Hallelujah. We're going to be able to open the altars tonight for a time of prayer. If you've got things in your life, listen. But ask you to confess to people. We're simply asking you to be honest with God. You would come tonight and say, God, I need help in this area. Please help me tonight. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. The altar's open. You come tonight. Pray and ask God to help you in all the areas that you're battling tonight. Let's all stand to our feet. Amen. If you're watching at home and you're not saving on a Christian, but you would like to give your life to Jesus tonight, I want to pray. Lead you in a sinner's prayer tonight, asking God to touch your life. If you're not saved, repeat this with me tonight. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to forgive me of the sin in my life. I know that I lived outside of your word, and I repent of that tonight. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and that his death takes care of my problem. And I believe he rose from the dead to validate my new life in you, Lord. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my personal Savior. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen.